Welcome everyone to this episode of Manufacturing Talk Radio. I'm Tim Grady and I'm here with Blue Weiss, who is the sponsor for Manufacturing Talk Radio through his company, All Metals and Forge Group, which manufactures open die forgings and seamless rolled rings. You can get more information on them at steelforge.com. Joining us again today and welcoming back Tony Uphoff, CEO and President of Thomas Net. We'd love to have Tony on the show. He has more statistics than we have time. So we're going to have a great time talking about the Buy American Act. And, and Tony, you were just sharing with us its origins. Please share with our audience where it started and what it's doing. Hey, Tim, first off, so great to see you and, and Lou, and thank you so much for having me back on the show. And as usual, I am very envious, my friend. I'm wearing <laughs> kind of a purplish striped shirt. I am underdressed and wowed, as usual, by the sartorial excellence that the two of you demonstrate. What, hey, size, are you, what size are you, Tony? Uh, well, thank you. I'm a, I'm a 34 long there, Lou. Okay, 34. Yeah. When yeah. are you going to start to get fat? Yeah, well, you know. Listen, it's all that uh, good, clean air, right? Right, uh, right. So, with the, the air with I, the smoke in it. Yeah, exactly. You know, a lot of New York City air, you know, yeah, that, yeah. That, 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 that creates healthy California living, smoke. Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, the Buy American Act, Tim, is, is, is kind of a fascinating thing, because I think the average person would say, oh, yeah, sure, I've heard of that, and, and really not understand it. And it's not new. It's been around for the better part of 75 or 80 years. It was really instituted kind of, you know, pre and post war. And the concept was initially very straightforward. The, the US government is a huge um, consumer. Um, they, they currently, currently, we're spending $600 billion a year, the US government is, and a little over half of that is to manufacture goods. So, you know, it's a massive amount of money. So the, the act initially, Tim, was set up to say, well, hey, wait a second. If we're spending your tax dollars, some of that money should be coming back in terms of jobs and output and, and a positive impact to the U.S. Uh, economy, but particularly to U.S. labor. Well, like many good intended programs, picture this, Tim, almost like a tax code. There were loopholes in this tax code, and the, the primary loophole was in what percentage of American-made goods uh, had to go into what you produced. The wink, wink, nudge, nudge could be don't ask, don't tell. So it could be that, that the majority, three quarters, 80% was made offshore, but the final 10% was made or 20% was made here in the US. What's now happened is it's been resuscitated and revised is what has, the reason it's back in the news is the current administration has set up a program that it has to be at minimum 55%. So the Buy American Act, the government purchased manufacturing. You have to be able to demonstrate that 55% of the goods you're using are American goods. And then that's going to build over time to 60. And then the ultimate goal is 75%. So if that's going to stair step, Tim, and I honestly don't know how many years out that takes to stair step up. But in essence, the reason it, it means a lot is, is relatively obvious. At a time when reshoring and other things are moving along and have been moving along and perhaps even accelerating, there's a lot of folks, myself included, 
that think that putting teeth back into the Buy American Act will benefit particularly small to medium manufacturers because as the two of you know better than anybody, um, as you tumble down from tier one to tier two to tier three, oftentimes, you know, each one of those steps, the transparency gets more opaque, right? And so, you know, those small to medium tier three manufacturers, this opens the door for some small to medium sized manufacturers who are going to qualify for this to step in and gain some business here. One of the things that concerned me uh, about uh, the Buy American is that they're talking about increasing our productivity. They're talking about bringing back, bringing back jobs. Um, and it's the same, same problem that Tim and I have been talking about now for years and in actuality seems to be getting worse. And that is skill gap. Yeah. Retirees, 6 million vacant manufacturing jobs right now. Where are we getting these workers from? So one might say, well, we have automation. We have 3D printers. Well, okay, that'll take up some of the, the absence of jobs, but I don't see, and no one that I've spoken to has given an adequate answer uh, other than uh, mine to some level, and that is about immigration and where we actually bring people in, which we've been doing for 19, uh, 1900. We've been bringing yep. immigrants yep. in. I mean, we're all from someplace else. Yep. My father wasn't an Indian chief, yeah, uh, or my mother an Indian princess. Yeah, uh, so we all came from somewhere else. Where are we getting these people from to do the jobs? Yeah, and and Lou, I, I you know as usual, that is the key issue, right? We can talk about data and trends and all these types of things, but if you then say to yourself, okay, where are, where are the barriers? Where's the friction in something like this? You've just named the biggest friction point and there's no easy, simple solution. Now, as an optimist, I will tell you in the list of things that you, you touched on there, I think there are some things that are, um, are going to help. I think an enlightened immigration policy, and I, I don't wanna steer us into politics here, but an enlightened immigration policy and, and ceasing demonizing other countries to an extent and things like that, I think is, is, is and this may take us a generation to work through, but I think that is, is key to this. I also think um, the, the retraining, you know, there are things in not just the Buy American Act, but some of the infrastructure bills and other things, there is money being dedicated to retraining of employees. I'll give you an interesting stat, and both you and Tim are aware of this. The way that the US um, Bureau, Bureau of Labor Statistics tracks jobs um, in manufacturing was set up post-war in the late 40s, early 1950s, and it really hasn't been updated since then. So the way they track job in, in or out is a very dated point of view, and it's a long way of saying, Lou, a lot of the job growth that are really tech jobs, they're really computer jobs, isn't getting tracked as a job in. Mm -hmm. And so but it is getting tracked in these massive numbers of open jobs. So it's kind of a little fuzzy. I'm not saying, hey, don't worry. These are computer jobs and they're being, you know, it, it, we're not losing jobs, 
I do think that the, the math on this is very, very fuzzy, but going back to the core issue, I think it's two things. I think it's immigration, Lou. I do think it is job skill training. I, and then the third one is, and, and I, I believe we've talked about this before, likely over an adult beverage or two uh, and, and dinner, but uh, I, I think the manufacturing industry in the United States has a got milk moment. It has the worst PR of any industry under the face of the sun. It's a $3 trillion industry that is the Rodney Dangerfield of industries <laughs> in the United States. And I, I you know, it, it is funny it is. and I'm having fun in the conversation, but if you think about it, this is partly what's held this back. If I come to your town in New Jersey and I wanna run for office, what are the two stump speeches I'm gonna give? All the jobs have been shipped offshores and by the way, you're not safe, and I alone can, can make you safe, right? It, 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 manufacturing has been used as a bad stump speech forever and still is. The data and facts and figures are all erroneous and all, all over the place. The other aspect about it is most manufacturing, although this is interesting enough starting to change, most manufacturing used to happen in cities, as did everything else. Well, it was moved out of cities. So as a, as a person moving around city, I don't see manufacturing. So I believe that it doesn't exist. I don't witness, I've never walked into a factory as a part of my daily, I don't, on my drive home, I don't pass a factory, right? And so what happens is this becomes self-fulfilling. If I have a, a, a young a, a adult who's you know, graduating high school, you know, why aren't I thinking manufacturing? Good jobs, well-paying, great benefits, high tech, right? But, you know, again, and I, I'm sorry to go on a rant here, guys, I, I think, you know, immigration, skills training, and, you know, <laughs> apprenticeships and all those types of things. But I do think there's a PR issue here, Lou, and I, I don't know if you agree with me or not. Well, to tell, you, to tell you the truth, and I'm sorry for jumping in front of you, Tim, because I, I heard you saying something to yourself. Telepathy between the two of you is remarkable. Yeah, they, well, we've been together. Uh, we're almost a couple. Only kidding, folks. <laughs> only kidding. Not that there's anything wrong with it. Exactly. <laughs> so let me get back on track, and I'm not sure where we were. Uh, point is that uh, we've been seeing these same things evolving, and um, I really did lose train of thought. So, well, Lou, the, the, the whole idea of PR, right? You know, here's, yeah. here's a couple of interesting things to tee you back up, right? So, if you think about this idea of PR, slowly but surely this is happening on its own I'll give you a couple of interesting things the millennial generation that we touched on earlier is showing a very clear dissatisfaction for knowledge work and they're championing the maker movement where do you think this creator and builder economy is coming from look at television shows like battle bots and forged in fire look oh, at the all best. these right look at all these shows people yearn for you know we are the only species ever created that imagines what doesn't exist and goes out and builds and creates it. It is in our DNA. And so I think to a certain extent, there's some kind of positive movement here, Lou. But anyways, we were talking about the PR problem manufacturing. The, the, the PR problem, you know, and years ago, we were calling it dark, dirty and dangerous. And uh, that's uh, what it's, that, that's the P bad PR part. Yeah. And, you know, maybe some of the orgs really need to start doing uh, public service uh, television commercials to do a tour of what a modern manufacturing plant is. 
probably 90 some odd percent of the people never have been into a, uh, a manufacturing plant floor. And what they're doing with kids, uh, trying to bring them into the manufacturing concept in their teen years, uh, and when they have manufacturing day, which is yeah. September, uh, October. No, it's third this year, Lou, or what day? It's the first Friday in October. First Friday in October. You guys look it up on the calendar. Uh, and uh, we've taken kids. We took a bus load of kids to one of these uh, events where they met the, uh, the, the, uh, the governor, the mayor, and uh, they were really turned on kids. And, yeah. But the first one you have to turn on first is the mother and father. You, I think that's key, Lou. I Absolutely. think that's key. A lot of people are missing that. And I know I've spent time and, and shared with you, there's a fantastic program in Connecticut with the local schools and things like that. It, it, and there, these programs are out there. I don't mean to paint a dour picture. They really are. These programs are there. Um, but, and I think the but, Lou, is we can't just focus exclusively on the kids. You know, at, at the right. end of the day, if little Tony is not going to be, you know, parents aren't going to be open to, you know, hey, don't worry about a four-year degree. Why don't you go apprentice at this manufacturing business for a little while and then maybe go get a two-year degree at a trade school that's going to allow you to run that business one day. Right. If my parents weren't interested in that, odds are I probably wasn't going to be given that kind of an opportunity. So I think you're you're hitting another piece of it, Lou. It's it's more complex than just, hey, evangelize to the kids. But getting the kids interested is a step towards getting parents interested. Sure. And, and you know, part of it is that most people have no idea what people in manufacturing earn. And I'll give you one example, a welder somebody who welds metal together, earns $75,000 a year coming out of his trade school. Hello, yeah. However, if you happen to like diving and being on the water and you become an underwater diver, welder, you make $150,000. Yeah. If you want to work on an oil rig down in the Gulf of Mexico, one month on, on one month off, you make $150,000 a year, plus stock option, plus healthcare, plus transportation to go visit your family for the month at your home. These are, some of these are great deals. Not for these you know, the, hands, but. The, yeah. the, the other thing I would say, Lou, to your point that I think is, you know, on, on, you know the pros and cons, right? What right. we're talking about is, hey, what are the barriers to this, this you know, increased opportunity for U.S. manufacturing? Boy, you don't have to look very far until you get to the skills shortage. Now we're talking about how do we break down you know, from immigration to skills training to you know, PR and, and, and evangelism, if I can use that term in this context. I'll tell you something that's, that's fascinating to watch, Lou. And you mentioned before, hey, you know, the, the, this advanced automation or advanced manufacturing technology or technology itself is not the only answer. And you're right, that is blowing up. So while we're seeing 83% of companies likely or extremely likely to, to reshore some or all of their manufacturing, we see a nearly 60% lift in, in demand for advanced manufacturing. But where this gets interesting, Lou, is put those two together. We believe, and there's not a lot of data on this, we believe we are starting to see an entrepreneurial wave in manufacturing enabled by technology. 
So try these, this data on. There's a group called ITAC that is a, a, a state and city funded um, nonprofit that works with New York City-based manufacturers. Yes, I actually said New York City-based manufacturers. Hold on to your seats. There's 8,000 members and collectively they generate $7.7 billion a year in revenue. And they're all within the five boroughs of New York. Wow. Now I was stunned to hear that, but as we kind of spent more time with them, Lou, and, and I'm kind of, you know, driving around the neighborhood to make a really simple point. You know, I do think on the positive side of the ledger, these enabling technologies, you mentioned 3D printing or additive manufacturing, some of these enabling uh, um, you know, uh, technologies are allowing, and they're not just younger people, but small companies. If you run the math on this, the average company size is probably about 15 people, and they're making somewhere just south of, of a million dollars a year, right? Now, there are bigger companies in that mix, obviously, too. But when you look at that, that, I think, bodes quite well for the future, that as people see an entrepreneurial opportunity, right, not only can you come right out of high school or school and make good dough, but boy, if you want to start something, you want to, you know, talk about a real creator economy. I, I think there's some positive, you know, dimensions happening there. There, there is uh, an organization that uh, we've actually had on our show called VEI, which is Virtual Enterprise, uh, Virtual Entrepreneurial Institute. Initiative. Initiative. Okay. Okay. And uh, they have they have sold a learning package a program that they sell to high schools and implement it in the senior year of high school. Kids who sign up for it learn about how to make and build a business. Cool idea. Come, and the, the course is involved with starting in the beginning of the year, they build a company. Yeah. And, and by time they, the course is over, they're out there selling goods and making a profit, which they get yep. to keep. And yep. uh, there are 800 schools presently in the United States. Wow. And uh, it's really quite a, uh, uh, quite a program. Yeah. And, uh, I've been involved with them on and off now for about two years, and they're growing. I mean, they, I think yeah. they have um, 15,000 students in the 800 schools. You know, Lou, I've shared this with you before. It's interesting. I, I grew up in, in the media business, producing business information, products, and services. And back when I was younger, it was in print, and then it became online and live events and data and all the interesting things. I was asked recently, uh, by, I was lecturing at the Medill School of Journalism, and I was asked by one of their students what I would do differently. If I looked at my career differently today, what would, would there be changes I would make? And I said, other than horrendous mistakes I've made along the way, putting those aside, I, I wish I had grown up in an era where being entrepreneurial in media was available. And if you think about this, this is about the technology, right? Yeah. YouTube, the internet, all those things didn't exist when I was in my mid to late 20s when I was really starting in this business. The sunk cost of having to get in, you know, having access to a printing plant and all those types of things was cost prohibitive. So, so you, you kind of... Not, not completely, but you kind of had to go to work at, at, a, at a factory, the equivalent of a factory, right. you know, right. to, to get into the business. You look at it today 
And boy, it's so easy to be an entrepreneur. And I think we're sort of saying the same thing about manufacturing. You know, you go back 40 or 50 years ago, it was harder, not impossible, but it was harder perhaps because of, of the cost structure. Today, it's easier to be a part of that builder and creator economy today, I think, in manufacturing than, than it's been certainly in previous generations. Do you still know how to operate the Gutenberg printing press? <laughs> I, I actually was there. You know, I, I was I was an apprentice with Gutenberg. I, that was my first job. It, it was non-paying, but boy, I learned a ton, Lou, I'll tell you, you know. But, you know, you laugh. Uh, my father, uh, where he came from Hungary, and he was a teenager there, and uh, he worked the printing press. You know, the old, yeah. you know, spin the wheel, the press lowers, yeah. one page. You know, Tim can write 20, 30 emails in that same time. Right. Well, look, I've shared with you, I've shared with you and Tim, you know, the, the um, building we are in currently in New York City, not physically now, we're working remotely, but Thomas has been in that building since 1923. And the reason they moved to that building, Lou, was exactly what you just described. It was the only building in New York City back then that had steel reinforced floors. They called it the printer's building because right. printers were what, probably a couple of tons. Yeah. And they could control their own printing for the big green books and the print era of the company. And the post office, yeah, the post yeah. office was across the street. So it was kind of vertical integration, yeah. right? right? It made simple uh, in any event. Tim, I think I might've cut you off, my friend. No, that's all right. We were going to talk about the Buy American Act and I wanted to find out this new iteration. What is it? is the expected impact on manufacturing? Is it more jobs will come back to the US? Uh, what's the emphasis? I know what the government's trying to do. How do the manufacturers respond? Um, you know, I think a couple of things. I think once, you know, for, for your listeners who, who want to make sure they understand the program and the process and that kind of stuff, you can go on and download the, I would really recommend reading it. It's not long. It's 20 pages at the most get up to speed on it and understand it. On thomasnet.com, we've actually created a filter now so that you know we qualify based on if you believe you can qualify, you can have that filter added to your profile. And we're getting a lot of activity on this as buyers realize, particularly if they're do, working with government you know, related products, they need to, uh, to adhere to that. The, the forecast, and I wanna be really careful about economic forecast, Tim, because I, you know, these numbers just sound like crazy money, but it is in the billions of dollars that they predict as this lifts to, to 60% that it will bring to the economy exactly how much of that will turn into jobs. I think kind of takes us back to the first part of the conversation. I think it's a fair bet to say that it will create, you know, an incremental number of jobs. We've already, you know, exhausted the discussion of the challenge around that. Um, and I'm giving an opinion here, Tim, that I think it's going to have a bigger impact on small to medium-sized manufacturers than larger manufacturers based on, the, as, as you all would understand very clearly, tier one, tier two, tier three in a supply chain. And as you, you know, well know, if you look at manufactured goods and services, I, I think it's close to 80% of them are made up of a supply chain of small to medium-sized you know, contributors, if you will, to building that ultimate product or, uh, uh, you know, uh, product itself. So, yeah, I, I think it'll have a very positive impact. I think the challenge, Tim, is probably going to be around enforcement. You know, how do 
how, how does the government assure? And to do that, not dissimilar to tax environments, there's going to be applications and you know exploration. What we're hoping doesn't happen is this doesn't create a lot of red tape for somebody who is you know trying to get one of these opportunities to to work with government funds on or, on something. It you know that remains to be seen. You know the, the the good news is there's a program. The bad news is it may come at a cost. Well, they may eventually get to a certification, which would not surprise me because. Lou right now with his company is working to be certified under NIST 800-171. That is a monumental task. It is. So that you can do business or continue to do business with the DOD and the DOE. So it'll be interesting to see if a certification comes out of this. I'm certified as a Buy American manufacturer. You know, it's interesting, Tim, to your point, we have it as a filter. It may become a certification on thomasnet.com to your exact point. You know, if and when it gets to that that point, because what we what we have found, we, we're averaging about two million sourcing sessions a month with buyers on the platform, is that badging, right? Really appeals to them. And just think of a cert. I don't mean to demean a certification. A lot of work goes into it, but they want to see that. It's it's a seal of approval to them. And particularly, boy, as they as they do anything in and around government related, you know. They, they well, they being buyers well understand that they need to be squeaky clean, you know, around that, uh, those types of programs. I did, uh, we did have an interview uh, a couple of days ago and uh, the, the, the words that you didn't want to use using it as a marketing tool logo uh, works because it worked with ISO. It got you to, a point, and, and actually the, the old story, uh, you'll forgive me a story, the old story, the day that we got our very first ISO certificate in the mail, regular mail, snail mail, was our certificate. That day, we got a phone call from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I'll never forget it. Now, mind you, employees gave pushback to ISO. Okay? But, you know, we got it implemented, and now we, yep. wouldn't, we wouldn't yep. function without it. That morning, one of the salespeople gets an inquiry from a customer who says, do you do this, that, and the other thing? And yes. Well, there's also one more requirement, and I can't find anybody who has what they call ISO. No. Are you, are you ISO certified? I, I remember the name of the company. I won't mention it on the air. Uh, he got that, the salesperson, uh, Paul got that order for fifty thousand dollars, paid for the ISO experience, yeah. and yeah. didn't have to spell it out for the salespeople anymore. They yeah. got it. Yeah, and it was the well, day that we got the certificate. Lou, boy, I I, sh- I I love that story, and and I'll I'll share that as I always do, sharing with with customers and and companies that we come into contact with. You know, one of the, the things that we hear regularly in all the surveys we do across buying groups, procurement, engineering, MROs, is the phrase, shorten the time it takes me to dot, 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 right? Find out if they've got an ISO certificate, find out if they're, if they're certified, find out if they're minority owned, find out, you know, whatever it is that's on their mind. And boy, it could be hundreds of variables there, yeah, sure. right? 
but you know, and and now Lou, think of your your the world we live in. If seventy percent of that analysis goes on before they engage with a sales rep or engage directly with the company, which is the impact of the internet. Now that idea of if I can use the expression badging and you know certification and making sure that that's clear, whether it be on platforms like thomasnet.com or and or the website that you have yourself, boy, that's becoming you know went from kind of nice to have to have to have in today's world. Sure, absolutely. Uh, getting back to the uh, by, by American, uh, what is it uh, more clearly that Biden and company is looking to do in regards to the by American as it is now? Um, I'll give you opinion on that. It, it's not clear to me and I've tried to drive the middle of the lane here, Lou, meaning yeah. you know, yeah, politically yeah. speaking, and, and, and I, I say that not, not because I don't have political views, but because, you know, as I advocate for our industry, right, I, I don't want to advocate from a political point of view. I want to ad advocate for and from an industry point of view. If you look at this, I believe what the administration has got their eye on here at face value appears to be job creation and also national security. And, mm. and I think that's the part of the story that gets kind of interesting, right? It, not that job creation is not interesting. I think the administration is very clear-eyed when it comes to the reality of what's happening in manufacturing. They're not naive about you know, what's going on. They, they understand the phenomenon of reshoring. If anything, they wanna put an accelerant on this, that this is an economic stimulus. I think is the way they're looking at it, Lou. You know, I, ironically enough, and I'll, I'll just mention this little uh, stat, the United States government, in addition to spending $600 billion, is the largest purchaser of consumer packaged goods in the world. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's a big, per, you know, it, it is just a money machine. They're spending our money, tax dollars, but it's a money machine um, in that regard. I think the national security stuff here gets really intriguing. So if you think of the precursor before this by Americans started to, to come around, you, you saw this, this spending bill that got passed very quickly by the Senate, not, not the infrastructure bill, the, the precursor to that. And, and I, as we're speaking, guys, I apologize, I'm blanking on the specific name of the bill, but there was no filibuster, there was no debate. It just went boom, boom, and it came in really quickly. And it was um, uh, spending in the US around things like semiconductors, 5G, and it, uh, artificial intelligence, advanced manufacturing technology. And, and it was real money. It was huge, you know, billions upon billions of dollars. And I'm looking at this and thinking to myself, well, it, it, in, in, in my lifetime, one of the most um, divisive eras of politics I've ever witnessed and this thing went through without a debate. Yeah, there's a, odd, there's, a, there's a story here. So we started to poke around a little bit, you know, with, with folks that we know. And you've mentioned some of the organizations that you work with that, you know, we spend time with as well. And here's what we found out. There were two recent examples. You know, the, the Chinese company Huawei, um, there, there clearly was some in the 5G technology, some routing mechanisms that took traffic from the initial source back to a parent source that was built into the system and not at the discretion of the user of the system. There were also examples of power grid technology um, that they discovered backdoors in. 
including oh. the ability to, to shut it off. And these were Chinese made. Um, and, and this is public information. I, I'm not disclosing anything that, that wasn't made public. Now, I'm linking that to the speed with which that bill, spending bill was passed. But I think part of this, and then I'm in turn linking it to the Buy American Act. I think part of this, Lou, is not just patriotism, is not just about economic and, and, and job growth health in the US, although I think a big piece of it. I think another piece of it is, you know, at the end of the day, if, if your primary strategy is outsourcing, you're outsourcing your security. And you may be outsourcing your security to people that do not have your interest at heart. Well said, well said. Well, Tony, where to from here? I'm gonna give you the last word. We would love to talk to you for the next three hours. You're a fascinating guy to chat with. We appreciate your insights, but wrap up this topic for us. And uh, we look forward to having you on the show again. Hey, Tim, thank you. And right back at you. I always enjoy our conversations and, and it's been uh, uh, too long. I look forward to, uh, to coming back and, and updating you. Stay tuned. I, I think there's a lot of vibrancy that things like Buy American and other things create and, uh, and help accelerate. And uh, if, it, if it isn't obvious to, uh, to your listeners, I'm long on US manufacturing, very, very fired up about what's happening. And not to say our industry collectively doesn't have challenges, but boy, I am incredibly bullish on, on how well positioned we are and, and the opportunities that US manufacturing represents. Well, as you know, uh, Tony, we stand right alongside you. And if we had a different screen, I'd be on the left and Tim would be on the right and we'd be right. like bookends holding <laughs> you up. That's what we got to do next time. We got to somehow figure that out. Right, right. All right. Thank you very much. And we will be talking to you uh, in the near future. Thanks again, guys. Really appreciate it. Take care. And we've been talking with Tony Yapoff, the CEO of ThomasNet. Always a terrific conversation. And we'll look to have Tony on the show more frequently because I'm sure our listeners enjoy him as well. You can find all of our shows at jacketmediaco.com. Sorry, jacketmediaco.com. That's just uh, by Lou there. And as always, thank you for listening to this episode of Manufacturing Talk Radio. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.